Hello and welcome, friends, family, and enemies alike, to episode 70 of Reading Cadence. I am your host, the displaced Wisconsinite, Phil Olson. And this week, we continue through our exploratory journey through the Gospels accounts of Jesus' birth with now the Gospel of Luke. And we go to Luke chapter 1 this week where we explored the events leading up to Jesus' birth and the miraculous events intercepted by the angel Gabriel as he conveys this wonderful, amazing news concerning Christ. And then these people are just like, but wait, that's impossible considering I'm old or considering I am a virgin. So, let us begin. Luke chapter 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the beginning, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now, it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God, It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, 
and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. After these days, Elizabeth his wife became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zecharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, 
and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Saviour, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on all generations will count me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months, and then returned to her home. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? for the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. 
And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. End of Luke chapter 1 So a few things. I love the precise exactitude that Luke introduces his gospel and his account of Jesus' birth. He introduces it by speaking to his mentee, Theophilus, saying, I have recorded and calculated all of these things and brought them all together, and I have investigated thoroughly everything so that you can know for certain the things that I'm about to tell you are true. And Luke has gone out on a mission to gather this evidence. It isn't something that he just heard secondhand. He's been going in and about and through, verifying everything that he is about to record so that he can with certainty assure his friend and mentee Theophilus of these events. And so I love that point specifically. But secondly, and a little bit more comically, I love what happens when the angel of the Lord Gabriel comes and visits these two individuals, Zacharias and Mary. Okay, with Zacharias, he comes to Zacharias and says, Hey, dude, you will have a son and he is going to prepare the way for the Savior, the promised one of old that was promised to redeem Israel and save them from their sins. And what is Zacharias's first response to all of this? Uh, I'm old, and so is my wife Elizabeth. That's impossible. It's, it's, not, that, it's not that the message was he had any questions or concerns about the message and be like, whoa, 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 hold up. You said, out of my lineage, somebody is going to come to prepare the way? Prepare the way for the Lord? No, no, no. His, his first thoughts are, uh, I'm old and so is my wife. That's impossible. And again, Mary, when she comes in confrontation with this angel... One, she's perplexed by his greeting when he says, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Which, I mean, in her defense, I would be a little bit like, wait, what? You know, type of thing. But very an assuring, a very assuring and, you know, welcoming message for sure. And again, Gabriel comes and tells her, Hey, your son is the promised one. He is going to be called the Son of the Most High, and he will save his people from their sins. And what does Mary's, what is Mary's first question to him? It, it's not, oh my goodness, like, how did, I, how did I get chosen for this? Like, whoa, like, this is an incredible message, or, you know, like, uh, really? You know, type of thing. All she says in this moment is... I, I don't understand. How can that be? I, I, I'm a virgin. I, I haven't been with anyone, so I don't know how I can conceive and have a child. <laughs> like, that's her question. After all of these, like, incredible, like, this incredibly good news that is taking place, all she can think about is, wait, how, how is that supposed to happen again? 
You know, same as Zacharias. Now, Zacharias was punished with mutinous until the birth of his son. But Mary was fortunately given mercy enough to be corrected gently by the angel. And he just is like, oh, you're going to conceive through the Holy Spirit. So that is why he shall be called the Son of God. So she gets the benefit of the doubt. Zacharias, unfortunately, cannot speak until his son is born. So we go through all of this just to say something, which I just came to maybe um, maybe like six days ago. I was just thinking about this, about how much we as Christians or we as human beings in general just undervalue what Jesus actually came to accomplish and what he did accomplish on the cross. We so underestimate or undervalue the forgiveness of our sins and, you know, being saved from our sin, like being saved by Jesus for our sins. But like, think about it this way. Like, come on. Like, the only person that can possibly save us is Jesus. There's nobody that can save us from our sins. There's nobody that can die for our sins except for Jesus. That's something. Like, if you were to go to the doctor and the doctor was like, I'm sorry, you have stage two colon cancer, okay, for instance, you would be like, oh no. But then your second thought would be like, wow, I'm glad you caught this early enough that something can be done to correct it, right? Like, there is an antidote, so to speak, with stage 2 colon cancer where you can, you know, receive appropriate treatment for it so to minimize its effect on your body. Like, nobody nobody can come up to you and be like, I'm sorry, you, you've got stage 2 sin cancer, and you're like, oh, phew, well, at least there's a treatment for that. You know, like, no, there is no treatment. There is nothing a doctor can do to save you from impending death by God's wrath for your sin that you have willfully committed against him. Okay? There's, there's nothing. But Jesus is the only one that can do that for us. Like, that is the freedom that we have in Christ. That is the freedom that we have been given, is freedom from our sins and serving our sinful nature. But we think about circumstances and situations that we've been placed in as redeemed people. We look at, you know, people, we look at things in our life that have happened that are so, so unfortunate, you know? Like, we're like, man, I, I lost my you know, my child, I, you know, like, I've lost my ability to walk, you know, or I'm really hard up on cash, and I've been, you know, surfing between houses or whatever, or I've lost the ability to drive because my car got into a car accident. And we look at these, like, situations that have happened in our lives, like our lives have ended. And what did Jesus come to do? He came to forgive us of our sins. He came to free us from our sinful nature. And that gives us 
the freedom then to act regardless of our circumstances and situations that were placed in favorable or unfavorable. You know, we can be like, holy cow, I don't have a car. That's fantastic. I get to minister to so many people through my presence and just being around them. Maybe this is an opportunity for me to encourage the people that give me rides places. Or maybe this is an opportunity for me to stay closer to home and, you know, invest in the people that I'm in closer proximity with at my house or with my coworkers or whatever the case may be. You look at the situations and be like, it doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter if I have stage four pancreatic cancer and I'm about to die. It doesn't matter if, you know, I've been diagnosed with ALS. It doesn't matter if, you know, this person in my life is badly injured or whatever. You can be like, wow, this is an opportunity for me to be able to glorify God in the circumstance and situation that I've been placed in. That's why Jesus came into this earth. That's why there's been such a dramatic, there have been such dramatic events leading up to his birth, you know. That's why there had to have been a John to come up before him. I mean, don't you think it's incredible that Elizabeth had no idea that Mary was pregnant when Mary came up to her? Because it says Mary was just told, hey, you're, you're going to birth a son that has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then immediately she goes to tell her relative Elizabeth. And Elizabeth's first response is from her child John, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, not fully developed in her womb, six months only, who is leaping for joy, knowing that Jesus has already just been conceived in Mary's womb. And Elizabeth, from that cue, knows that Mary is bringing about the promised one that all the Jewish people have been waiting for for generations, 42 generations, as we've learned in Matthew chapter 1. And so we get to this point, and it's just like, okay, what have I been saved from and why is it so important? And a lot of times I think it, we, we undervalue that G, the impact of Jesus saving us from our sins and we look at our situation and we're like, I feel awful. Like, I'm not in the place that I want to be right now, you know, or whatever the case may be. And it's just like, holy cow, this is amazing. This is incredible. God has saved us from our sins. He has provided a way. Nothing is impossible with God. And being a follower of Christ doesn't guarantee that our lives are going to be a bed of roses, but it gives us the freedom to interact in our situations beyond what our world or our culture demands us to think or respond in these situations and to be like, holy cow, I have hope that is far greater than my current ill predicament that I'm in. I am going to live for an eternity with my Savior and my God and with the being that has created me in a new heaven, in a redeemed earth, one that is without sin or pain or struggle or toil. This life is temporary. I have 
a, a life promised to me through Jesus because of what? Not because I'm a perfectly healthy individual, my family's in the best of shape, I'm racking in the money, I have a very stable job, and, you know, life is just going my way. No, but because my sins have been forgiven. And we look at that, and we just kind of are like, okay, eh, big deal. This is like, big deal? Like, yes, it's a big deal, but not the way that you said it it's a big deal because that is the the most jesus could give to us to give us the freedom and it is everything it's not his leftovers it's not something that he was like oh, i don't know what i can can do to help him i can't prevent this person from dying in their life i can't prevent them from having als i i guess i'll i'll give them forgiveness of sins that that should be good enough no no no, no. that is uh, that is everything that is our life here like our sins condemn us to eternal death when we die we are going to die again under the righteous just judgment of god without christ's forgiveness of our sins that's how important it is we our souls live on forever Although our bodies die, our souls continue. And I think that that's something we just can't grasp right now because we're living we're right now and we see people living and dying ahead of us or sadly, you know, even before us, before their time. And we're just like, this is, this is the sum of my life. And we don't actually believe, you know, fully in our hearts. Yes, we believe. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. But, like, I don't know if we fully understand the impact, the true awesomeness of that realization because we can't see it right now. Maybe this is kind of how the Jews felt before Jesus came, where it was just like, I know that God has promised us a Savior, a Redeemer to save us from our sins, you know? But... But he hasn't come yet. And so, like, they're just like, but I believe in that promise. I believe that Jesus will eventually come. Or they don't know it's, his name's Jesus. But I believe that this person would come who is going to save us, that God is going to send to redeem us as a people. And maybe this is us in our hearts where we're like, I believe that my soul will live forever and that I will be with God in heaven. But, but it hasn't happened yet. And I believe that Jesus will come back again to um, restore earth back into a redeemed state. And I believe, you know, all of these things that have been promised even in the books of Revelation. And we're like, yes, this is true. But it hasn't happened yet, so we're kind of like tentatively like still living in the present versus living for the future. And I think what this does specifically, especially so since this is still talking about historical events that have happened in the past, their implications for our future is still very real. For we know Jesus did indeed get born. 
John did indeed get born. John did prepare the way for Jesus to come. Jesus did come into this earth, live a perfectly sinless life, completely obedient to God, dying for our sins to save us. And so we already know the truth of the events that are going to take place here. But living here in the present now, in the 21st century, it is very difficult to look beyond past our temporary lives to a future that is going to exist on for an eternity, forever. There is no end. But whether our souls have been saved by the blood of Jesus or not will make all the difference whether it will be a pleasant eternal existence or an awful eternal existence. And we just can't quite see the light at the end of the tunnel. So then today we make choices in our lives that are very short-sighted. And yeah, I mean, I do the same thing too. But just thinking about these situations and circumstances and trying to train my mind and my heart to think more eternally minded and think about the choices that I make now. Yeah, you can definitely go down a rabbit hole of like thought, you know, traps, but that's not the intention or the point. It's to just be aware, you know, be self-aware enough to realize your choices have an eternal impact, not just a tomorrow impact or an hour impact. There's so much weight behind being freed from our sins. And uh, that was just something that just like I came about, God placed on my heart maybe, yeah, like five, six days ago. Um, just something that just became very real to me in that moment. Um, just wanted to share that with you as well. So, that all being said, I mean, that's only Luke chapter 1. So, tune in next week for Luke 2. Thank you all so much for listening to another episode of Reading Cadence. I am your host, the displaced Wisconsinite, Phil Olson. And, as they say in show business, that's all he wrote. <laughs>